We are in our series of the essentials for maximum influence from Colossians 4. And we noted that Paul was writing this uh, whole book in response to some false teachers that had infiltrated this church and were trying to get people turned away from the sufficiency of Christ. They did this by applying social pressure with legalistic standards and esoteric spiritual experiences. And I noted last week that such folks will often use the Bible. They'll often, you know, name Christ, and their tactics serve to keep people entrenched within their system. The result is that you always feel like you're never quite doing enough. Or if you are doing enough, you always feel a little superior over those who don't. They adopt extra stuff, extra biblical stuff, in order to be in. Now, you contrast that with an authentic leader or influencer, which would be any of us, who operates in the power of Christ. Uh, such a person has no need to manipulate. Such a person you know, does not worry about whether people like him or her or not or how many people are showing up. They don't devise extra rules to kind of keep people in check, you know, to manipulate. Such people trust the work of the Holy Spirit and the heart's of people, and they just do their job in speaking truth. This week, I was talking to a pastor friend who was sharing a story about an interview he had years ago when he was seeking to be a youth pastor in another church. And this uh, pastor was telling him about all of the rules that he needed to follow in order to be accepted within this church, and many of them included rules for attire. And one of the things he said was that we allow no toe cleavage. (laughs) What? And he asked the guy, what do you mean, toe cleavage? He said, well, we don't want any toes showing, like with sandals or anything like that. We require all of our people not to allow such a thing. I just thought, what? Never mind, of course, people who get off on, you know, drinking. Jesus, you know, drank wine or Jesus wore sandals. Like, never mind any of that. You can't do that. When we start requiring of people things that God does not, we get in real trouble. And that was exactly what the people in, in Colossae were doing, these, these false teachers. And so Paul is writing for these Colossians to stay on target, to focus on things that matter. And as we, as we focus on Christ, then the growth that springs from that relationship, it's going to be authentic, it's going to produce spiritual fruit that not only will be shown on the outside, but it starts on the heart. It transforms the heart. We read in Colossians 2, for instance, let no one disqualify you. Now, I like that. In other words, we have a responsibility not to sit under this extra biblical stuff in order to be accepted. We have a responsibility to say no to that so that we're not negatively influenced. Let no one disqualify you. Insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in detail about visions puffed up without reason by a sensuous mind, and not holding fast to the head, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments, grows with the growth that is from God. And obviously that is Christ. And then you fast forward to Colossians 4. We looked at last week how Paul was urging them to make, uh, offer their prayers consistently and uh, then he said you're to be mentally and spiritually alert and you're to, you're to pray with a heart of thanksgiving. 
And so today we're going to move on in this passage, verses 3 and 4. Let's stand as we take a look at it. Continuing steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Walk in wisdom toward outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word. We realize our need to be dependent upon Christ through prayer. Paul says, pray for us. Pray for us. Do you utter those words often? Pray for me. Pray for me in this. A lot of people don't do that often. A lot of people might think, and even as Christians, that it's somehow a sign of weakness. Or maybe, you know, I don't want to act like I don't have my act together. So when I ask people to pray for me, you know, they just, uh, they're not comfortable with that. Hmm. Paul, I think, realized that nothing is accomplished in the kingdom of God without the activity of Christ through us. And nothing accesses Christ in us than prayer. Nothing does it better than prayer in our communion with him. Paul realized the energy to operate in the spiritual world is activated through prayer. Isn't it really a sign of great love that somebody has for us, that they pray for us? Isn't it? I think it is. There was a mission station that was particularly blessed by the China uh, Inland Mission. Um, It was in the the group of stations that the China Inland, uh, Inland Mission managed. And, but one of them was, was particularly um, fruitful. And uh, others, you know, were equally devoted, equally gifted, but there was this one mission station that, I mean, the, the fruit was amazing. And Hudson Taylor, as he was traveling through Europe, uh, after one particular meeting, a gentleman came up to him and, and uh, had some questions for him and asked specifically some questions about that particular mission station. And, and he began to ask about uh, if, who the individual was. And finally, they were able to make a connection. And this man that was asking the questions was a roommate to the mission head that was so fruitful and said to Hudson Taylor, listen, I have, I have prayed every day since college for this individual and that his life be fruitful. And it was at that point that Hudson Taylor said, then I knew the answer as to why this was so effective, so fruitful. The fruitfulness was directly linked to the prayerfulness. We're to value highly those who pray for us. Those weren't just empty words that Paul was giving. I think he knew that he would be prayed for when he requested that. I love it. John Holtling often comes up to me and he says, hey, I'm praying for you all the time. It's great encouragement. I've been told by a group of men that meet here every week, early in the morning, Bill, Tom, Rich, Gary, during the week they pray for CCC. They pray for its leaders. The elders meet every Sunday morning to pray for the church services. They pray for me. I have a friend who lives on the East Coast. 
I've told you about him before. He texts me every Sunday morning and tells me he is praying for me and specific prayers that he gives. He's done this for several years. I have a wife who prays for me this morning. She got up and said, because uh, I told her yesterday, I go, man, I am just not feeling it. I mean, there are those days where it just kind of flows, and then there are those days like nothing. You know, the spigot is empty. I don't know what's going on. And, and uh, she said this morning, she said, uh, man, I've been praying for you like all night, just when God would wake me and asking God to really move, you know, in your heart. And I just thought, wow. That's awesome to have a praying wife. So right then this morning, then I just went and got her a Valentine's Day card. And I just wanted to <laughs> thank her for doing that for me. Thank you, honey. Because I'm just that kind of guy. When we ask others to pray for us, we are publicly acknowledging our need of dependence upon God. It's a declaration that we can't do this ourselves, right? And what a blessing it is to pray for one another and to be prayed for. Paul didn't say, you know, hey, Paul, how you doing? Hey, it's all good. I'm fine. No, he says, pray for us. He is acknowledging the need of God's constant intervention in his life. Our faith is often small because we feel like that prayer is useless sometimes. In fact, haven't you ever said to somebody, you know, or you at least said it to yourself, well, you know, I can't do much. I guess all I can do is pray. All you can do is pray. (laughs) That's the most you can do, right? Now, not the kind of, you know, five-second prayer that uh, if it was uh, answered, you wouldn't know it because it was so general and forgetful. Pray the kind of prayer where you are, you are grabbing hold of the ears of God. You're asking God to work deeply in a person and specifically entreating him about a need. Well, what kind of needs does God seem to respond to? What requests did Paul ask? Well, he gives us a clue here on how we ought to pray, but let's remember this. The book of Colossians was written while Paul was in prison. He was in Rome. He wrote this about 61 AD. Now, wouldn't the most natural thing if you're in prison and you are wanting people to pray for you, wouldn't the most natural thing to be, uh, hey, would you guys pray that, you know, I'd get out of prison? Uh, Would you guys pray that I could get some extra food, some better clothes? I mean, you know, the creature comforts are waning here in this prison in Rome. I mean, everyone would understand that. We would not fault Paul for praying to get out. But that's not what he prays for. There was something more important than his comfort. Something reigned so supreme in his life that convenience took a back seat. That God may open to us a door for the word. What we learn from this, in order to have maximum influence, we're not to strive for comfort, but opportunity. It seems that Paul was more interested in being a faithful servant of Christ than a free man. I mean, he's in prison. His concern was not for personal safety or for material help at this point. Again, I wouldn't fault him if he did pray that. No, what he's praying for is that he would be 
faithful, even while in prison, to the mission that God has called him to. Now, there are other prison epistles, uh, particularly Philippians, Ephesians, Philemon, that are in the Bible. These are books that Paul wrote while in prison, or letters that he wrote while in prison. And in Ephesians 6.18, he tells the church, praying at all times in the, in the spirit and all prayer and supplication to that end. Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, the words may be given to me and opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel. Very similar to what he is asking in Colossians. He doesn't ask to be set free, doesn't ask for food and water. He prays that it would be clear what he is communicating, that he would be faithful to the mission that God has given him. Chief on his mind is that he would not be overcome by comfort, but that he would not miss the mission that God has given him in life. Is it conceivable that our preoccupation with our own comfort causes us to miss why we were placed on this earth? Is that at least conceivable? If you were to look through biblical history from Israel to the church, you would find that there is a a common mission that God has given. It started with Israel. Isaiah 49.3, Israel, you are my servant. I will show my glory through you. You say, well, that's easy, Kevin, for you to say, you know, you're a pastor. I will show my glory. You know, God shows his glory when you teach the Bible. I'm not sure that was all that the writers had in mind. You see, I believe that God shows his glory as you are picking up the trash. I believe God shows his glory through you as you are a nurse. I believe that God shows his glory through you as you're a a clerk at Walmart, or you're a lawyer, you're a doctor, you're a student, you're a neighbor, you're a spouse, you're a child. God wants to show his glory through you in every social sphere. That's the prayer. To be his representative is our highest goal. And specifically, to be his witness among those who don't know of God. That they might get an idea about who God is by our life and our words. Again, it matters not what your vocation is. This is not about vocation. You are God's representative on earth. And when one is on a mission like that, and their hearts are passionate, and there's a, there, there's a compelling mission inside of them, they are willing to make sacrifices, and nothing will stop them. In fact, everything is viewed through the prism of them accomplishing that mission. It's amazing what lengths you'll go to when you're compelled by a vision, compelled by a mission like that. I had a professor in graduate school who gave an illustration of a fire that was in a city. There was a bus that was going around different churches picking up people that could help in uh, saving people from this fire in this building. There was no one else to help in the rescue effort. 
there was great urgency to get bodies out, people out of this building to save lives. And the believers in the churches were the only ones that were able to help in the rescue effort. Some were equipped to actually go into the building, the fiery building, and save lives. Some were able to be outside the building and to uh, retrieve people as they came out of the building. Some were equipped uh, with medical aid for those that would come out. But if the Christians didn't help, many would lose their lives. And while on the way, the bus, which is filled by now, is struggling to make it up a steep hill. Uh, Perhaps it was the weight of the load. Perhaps it was the clutch. But whatever it was, people needed to get out of the bus to push it. This is not what they signed up for, but uh, people get out of the bus, and the bus is grimy. The road is, is all muddy, and they're pushing this bus uphill. They're getting dirty. They're tired now. But they all do it. But you don't hear anybody complaining about having to push the bus. You don't hear anybody complaining that I didn't sign up for this. You don't hear anybody refusing to help to push the bus. Rather, all that are on the bus understand what it's there for, what they were called to do, what's required to get them to this fiery building. They're willing to do whatever is necessary to stay on their mission. But dear friends, each of us are on a gospel bus, as it were. Uh, And each of us are called to make sacrifices. Each of us are called to give something of ourselves to accomplish the mission. Not everyone goes into the building. Some will stay outside. Some will uh, provide medical help. There are different gifts, are there not? Right? Many are going to get dirty. Many are going to be called to do that which is difficult. But our mission takes priority over our comfort. Paul said it this way in Philippians, only let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ. So that whether I come and see you or am absent, I may hear of you that you are standing firm in one spirit with one mind, striving side by side for the faith of the gospel. See, when you keep that in mind, I'll run through a forest. I'll do whatever is necessary because there are lives literally online. It's amazing what you do when you have your mission in mind. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. We strive not for recognition, but we strive for clarity of message. Paul makes clear that he wants to be prayed for so that the gospel mission can be accomplished. It's really the reason he is in prison because he made it clear before. He talked about this mystery that the Jews did not know before, but now even Gentiles can come to Christ. Many did not like that. It's the reason he's thrown into prison. But Paul was more concerned about his obligation as a servant of Christ than being delivered from tough circumstances. And the reason for Paul's captivity was because of the mystery of Christ. Yet he still prays, I want it to be clear. 
He desired not only opportunity, but he desired clarity. He knew that his circumstances were less than ideal. He's not praying to be delivered from the circumstances, but that he would plainly represent Christ, plainly speak and live for Christ. Influencers, spiritual leaders, can especially be guilty of not speaking plainly. Maybe it's just because of cowardice. Maybe it's because, you know, they want to fit in. They want to be esteemed by others. And as a result, many don't adhere to the word of God. Might water it down. In fact, may may make it say something it doesn't say at all. Paul said this, I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and teacher, which is why I suffer as I do, but I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm convinced that he's able to guard until that day what has been entrusted to me. Follow the pattern of the sound words that you've heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Guard it. Protect it. Don't water it down. Don't start apologizing for it. Boldly proclaim it. In fact, later in 2 Timothy, he says this, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Rightly handling the word. Let it speak for itself. When it speaks to issues of the day that people don't like, continue to speak with clarity. Don't back off of that. Now, you don't be a jerk about it, but you continue to speak clearly. We are compelled to make it clear because the gospel and the word of God are essential to our being. Just deliver the goods. Don't worry if you come off as smart to everybody else. I like what R.C. Sproul once said. He said, I use big words to disguise my ignorance. Big words are great for that. If I can use a word that nobody understands, chances are people will think that at least I understand what I'm talking about, even when I don't. C.S. Lewis agreed, he said, any fool can write learned language. The vernacular is the real test. If you can't turn your faith into it, then you either don't understand it or you don't believe it. Charles Spurgeon once commented, Christ said, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. Some preachers, however, put the food so high that neither sheep nor lambs can reach it. They seem to have read the text, feed my giraffes. (laughs) To use an old adage... We are to put our cookies on the lower shelf where everybody can reach the goods, right? Beloved, each of us is an ambassador of Christ, and as such, he just calls us to to be clear about our message, to be clear about the gospel, to be clear about the word of God. Now, you know, you may not feel like you're an ambassador. You may not feel like you have what it takes 
But listen, what Paul is really talking about here, it's the quality of life that is lived. It's the content of our speech that acts as a witness to Christ. You say, but Kevin, I may get flack for that. Uh, Yeah, you probably will. You probably will. In Hebrews 11, we read about Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, Rahab, and a host of other believers strewn throughout history. And like witnesses in a courtroom of life, they have testified that being God's representatives on earth far exceed whatever sacrifices were made, and some gave their very lives. These saints show us by their life the importance of endurance in our faith. These people have taken a stand, and by their lives, you know what they testify, this cloud of witnesses? God does not leave us. Stay in the race with your torch lit. Pray often. You may suffer, but God will reward you. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. I could boil it all down. We could say this, my friends. The content of our prayers, listen, the content of our prayers is to be guided by our mission. Let us therefore be steadfast, watchful, thankful to God who has put us on such a glorious task. Let's pray.